0: Hello there, and welcome to episode 19 of the Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast, titled "The Force Reawakens." <laughs> and a long, long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, there were two heart, die-hard rugby fans having a weekly chat about all things Aussie rugby—real, family-friendly, and positive. Get involved!
1: Get involved!
0: So, I'm Ando. That's Mitch. Mitch, how's your week been?
1: It's been good. I've got to um. Got to go to some rugby for the first time in a couple of months on Friday night, which was
0: very cool. It's good to be back. I mean, the game itself was not very cool, but was it a good experience?
1: It was an interesting experience. Um, It was quite, it was different to what I was expecting, to be honest, but um, we'll we'll get into that as we get into the chat.
0: Yeah, sounds good. Well, why don't you quickly roll us through the social stuff?
1: Yeah, definitely. So we are on Instagram at hashtag pick underscore drive underscore rugby. And we're also on Facebook at the pick and drive rugby podcast. So give us a like, give us a follow and get in touch.
0: One of the things we're going to be doing this week on our socials is uh, for the last couple of rounds, well, the first two rounds, we've been giving our picks for the upcoming games. And We haven't been doing that great, but we thought it'd be a lot of fun to put our pics up on socials and hear what people are thinking as well. And what we're going to say is the listener the respondent who has the closest pick is going to get a shout out on the pod the following week so for example with the brumbies waratahs clash that's coming up this weekend if you pick who's going to win and you have the closest margin as well we'll give you a shout out on the pod so get involved check us out that'll come out i'm guessing let's put that on thursday because then we'll have the team list by then yep um and then people can respond so thursday on instagram and on facebook for the um kind of it's like a mini picking competition
1: yeah, so just um, just look out for that and let us know what you're what you're thinking for the weekend.
0: Awesome. Well, tonight we're going to be hitting up round two of the Super Rugby AU as well as the Super Rugby Aotearoa competition have their fifth round of oh, fifth round. Yeah, yeah. Fifth. Um, and we're particularly seeing the I love can't wait to talk through the Blues Crusaders game. That was epic. <laughs> um, yes. But before we get to that, why don't we start with Super Rugby AU?
1: All right, let's dive into the first game. Let's go. So the first game of round two for the Super Rugby Australia competition saw the Rebels hosting the Reds, interestingly, this week in Brookvale, Overland, Sydney. Due to the uh, COVID situation down in Melbourne, they had to move their home game to New South Wales. And this was played on Friday in Manly. So I was lucky enough to be able to go to this game. Um, It was quite a sort of wet and, and miserable kind of evening for it and it sort of showed in the in the output of the game so for those who missed the game it ended up being an 18 all draw and this was the first time that we saw the new super time being put into play so overall ando what were your thoughts of this game
0: Uh, i thought it was a pretty boring game (laughs) uh if we're to be uh, a nicer way of putting it is that it's a game for the purists uh, the people that like rugby would have watched the game and the people that weren't nailed on rugby fans would probably have left or stopped watching. And it, it got pretty exciting, I think, really in the last 10 minutes. minutes. Particularly, yeah. yeah, particularly that try for Murphy. Yeah. Um, that was that was fantastic. And that going to the first ever golden point in Super Rugby was was great to have that just as a kind of milestone within a super rugby competition, but the actual output of that itself was pretty poor. Um, you were at the game. What was your experience of being at the game?
1: Yeah, being at the game was, uh, it was weird. It really didn't, it felt like being at sort of like a shoot shield game. It mm-hmm. had a similar sort of crowd level as a shoot shield sort of first grade Sydney game, um, but it didn't have the kind of bells and whistles that a proper super rugby game has, so they did have the whole pre-game like naming of the teams and welcome out the Reds, welcome out the Rebels, but throughout throughout the game there was just no atmosphere. Like no one was really cheering for either side. It was just I mean there wasn't much happening to cheer about, really. Mm. But <laughs> normally you get like an MC person there who sort of trying to G the crowd up a bit. And like when the say the Waratahs are playing and the Waratahs are in the opposition 22, they'll come across the PA system and they'll come on guys. The Waratahs are getting close to need your support. Let's start, let's start getting behind them. And then the crowd will start getting into it and and make a little bit of noise. There was none of that in this game. It was just dead silence. And it just felt like just nothing. You could, the whistle was going, you couldn't tell what it was for. Um, the, they weren't showing why the penalties were being blown on the big screen. So you kind of Mm -hmm. just had to guess. Um, And it just, yeah, it was just really sort of uh, anticlimactic.
0: Yeah. And I just wonder if uh, some of the skeleton crew that seems to be in place is just the result of A, trying to limit the numbers of staff involved in the broadcasting and Mm. the running, Um, but B, the lack of money that's available for this competition means they just can't afford to have the people on in those different roles that they had previously. I don't know if that second one is a case. Well, um, but I mean, I, think the-
1: I was thinking about it. I was there and I was like, if it was technically a rebels home game. Mm. And I did think there was probably more supporters in the, in the stands wearing sort of red or reds gear. So it, yeah.
0: in,
1: in some ways it felt like a reds home game. It didn't, you yeah. wouldn't say it felt like either team was the home team. But if someone came across and said, okay, let's start cheering for the Rebels. They're getting close now. There'd be no one coming. No one sort of (laughs) making any noise. So I can understand why it didn't happen,
0: but it just felt really weird. Well, the game itself was a pretty scrappy affair. You mentioned it was raining. Um, it seemed that neither team was able to gain any continuity play. There was a lot of dropped ball, a lot of turnovers, um, and neither team really seemed to take the game, take have have any ability to control the game, play territory, or anything like that. It was pretty dire and pretty error riddled Um, who were some of your standout players if we're if we're to try and take some positives from this who in your mind played well for either team uh
1: okay so who played well i thought cora betty played very well until he sort of came off concussed uh i thought had some glimpses here and there but ultimately kind of lost the game for the rebels um Mm -hmm. James O'Connor, I f- started the game quite poorly. He made a, f- a few simple mistakes early on, but he kind of he made a few good plays and good uh, movements with the ball as the game progressed. So I think he sort of settled into it. But uh, apart from that, the forward pack for the Reds was fairly decent as we would come to expect, but they just weren't getting the um, the rub of the green by the referee really. So they were winning a lot of of the the penalty. they, they were winning the scrums and they were pushing the Rebels up or down or back, but the ref wasn't rewarding them with penalties. So that was, it didn't seem like they were more dominant, but they were. Um, but yeah, apart from that, no, Billy Meeks scored a pretty interesting try. I thought he, he did well <laughs> yep. to get that, but I wouldn't say he was good or outside of that. Uh, Reese Hodge did well when he came on, he started to yep. sort of straighten the attack yep. up and started to lead the, the back line around. I was wondering why he wasn't playing. I did text you this, um, as the game was on, if they had said it, any reason why he wasn't starting?
0: Did, do you, did they say why? No, no. There was no commentary as to why. Oh, sorry, not during the game, but I did read beforehand that there had been some news that he was having his workload managed, that he'd actually come into this competition carrying a couple of nickels and injuries. Right. And I think maybe they were just trying to get him through the next kind of 10 weeks and maybe thought that he didn't have the ability to do the full game with whatever injury he's carrying. Um, maybe, maybe that's, that, that's yeah. What I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know what it.
1: the injury was, but in the, I was watching him warm up. He was sort of warming up right in front of us, and he was getting into it. He was sprinting yep. very quickly up and down the try line, and and he was doing the stretches and things. So he looked fit, and he came on and he did quite well. But yep. um, it yeah, I was, I was wondering why he wasn't playing, wasn't starting. Um, because I really didn't think that the 13 for the
0: Rebels was very good at all. Yeah. I mean, I, some of my key players, I really, really rated. I'm, I'm sorry if I get his name wrong. I'm trying. <laughs> Pony Masuli. Pony Masuli. He basically is the number three for the Rebels. And he had a, an immense game. He, I wonder if he's coming from a league background or something like that, because the hit up that he did off the, it was either a goal and dropout or a kickoff, might have been a goal, um, where he just received the ball and just ran it straight, ran it hard. And to, the, to his credit, Mukan um, Salakai Loto just just met him with Harry Hooper and they did end up putting him down, but it was a huge collision. And um, Pone also absolutely destroyed Bryce Hegarty as well. Yeah, he did, didn't he? Um, So that was just really good to see. He's this absolutely massive guy who has kind of just come out of the woodwork. He's 196 um, centimetres, 130 kilograms. So he's a huge prop, both in height and in weight. And I think... Mm -hmm. Because he, he went off at the 46th minute this week. And the previous week, he went off at the 45th minute. So he's, he's increasing by one minute every game. Well done. Um, I, just, I, I think he's going to be a really devastating player if he can continue in his form. Um, so he was someone I really rated. I also, I heard the stat that um, Harry Wilson, well, I, I need to try and get this up on my computers being really slow. Harry Wilson had an insane number of carries for yeah, the Reds. He did, something he like,
1: did to, um, to run it a lot.
0: Yeah, I'm quickly trying to get his stats up whilst we're talking. So sorry if I'm just stalling for the moment. But it was something to the effect of um, the most carries by a player in like Australian super rugby history within one game. Really? It was, yeah, yeah. I've heard that thrown. Some people are throwing it around on Twitter. Um, so I'm just quickly getting his stats up now. He had 19 carries within a game, which is huge. Absolutely huge. Um, as a comparison, Michael Wells, who was his opposite at number eight, had five carries. Wow. So, I, need to, I need
1: to go back and re-watch the game or watch the highlights, mm-hmm. but was he running it off the back a lot of the scrum? Uh, Were they doing a lot of yeah. number eight pickups?
0: He, he was doing a couple of number eight pickups, but also in line-out moves. He's the go-to guy for that first up okay um and plus he recycles really well so he's he's young energetic he's quick to get off the ground and get back involved um his work rate stats are incredibly high um so there's very little dead time we're just struggling so mm. um he also had 16 tackles and only missed, missed two so it was yeah
1: like he's we've we've pinned him before but he's he's really mm-hmm. pushing for that gold jersey um this year if not like next year, definitely if he doesn't make it this year. But if he doesn't make it this year, you'd be really scratching your head as to who who would be. Well, Izzy Nicerani, but he's but he, obviously out injured. He's injured. So, yeah, he's been playing. I don't even think Izzy Nicerani's making those kind of numbers. So,
0: no, not at the moment. But then yeah. again, I mean, that part of those numbers are that the Reds just don't have the biggest forward pack in the world. No. Um, so both Fraser McWright and William Wright aren't really guys you'd expect to be trucking it up. Um, yeah, but surely we Tupo's weight is
1: pretty big. Surely Tupo's yeah, yeah. weight carries the the <laughs> weight of the scrum up a bit.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, look, uh, it'll be an interesting one for later in the season to see. I just hope Nasirani gets back in because he was playing really well. Yeah, he was. Um, and so I hope that whatever injury concern he has kind of sorts itself out. But I need to have a chat about my boy, J-O-C, Jock, James O'Connor. Um Jockey boy. I... I have this little fanboy crush on him oh. um, just because much like Ryan Lonegan, um, just because I love this redemption story that he's gone through over the last couple of years of how he was this bad boy. He spent some time off in the wilderness um, playing over in England to try and give himself some time and headspace. He's had this kind of personal restoration through a lot of the self help stuff through Save Your World. Um, There's this whole narrative behind it that I just love. And then when he sliced that kick in the first couple of minutes, that clearance kick, and it just went about 15 metres sideways, um, I was feeling for him. And then when he gave away that intercept try to Billy Meeks, I was just head in my hands going, no, James, what have you done? That was so bad for him. But then he was the one who sparked the attacking uh, play that Chris Fairway-Sortia got the offload to, to yeah. Murphy for the final try in the 74th minute. To, and he also and then kicked the, the conversion.
1: Um, he was also, if you take it back to the first, or earlier in the second half, he was the one that threw that pass out to Filippo um, Duang to score Dunguni. that try. Dunguni, yep. sorry. To um, yep. score that try, even though it was forward.
0: Yeah, uh, sure. Yeah, No, no, no. We were,
1: we were talking about this. <laughs> we were talking about this. I do need to bring this up. I was at the game. I was going for a beer at the time, and I was standing on the sideline right in line with James O'Connor as he threw that pass. And it's drifted so far forward. And Ando takes it, and Ando. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and um, Ando's excuse is that it's come out of his hands backwards. But I've watched the replay, and it didn't come out of his hands backwards. It's come out of his hands forward. So, wrong call. Look.
0: I humbly disagree with you and in no way, shape or form is my fanboying of James O'Connor at all influencing my opinion on this. <laughs> but so... what, about his,
1: what about his aimless kicks? Yeah, I think that he was... Did, in the first yeah, half, yeah, okay. he did about four or five just little grubber kicks to no one. Yep. And he got blocked by the, the player coming in to tackle him. And he either had someone just on his hip who didn't run for it. And it just ended up being this loss of possession. This aimless kick away it didn't make any yeah. sense as to why he was doing it.
0: There must have been some game plan because he's smart enough that he's playing a particular way for a reason, and you just wonder if a he's not executing, or b the team isn't the rest of the team isn't uh, ex- executing their role within the game plan as yeah. well. Because so, like he's he's an experienced player, he knows what he's doing. He wouldn't be doing something repeatedly dumb like that if there wasn't a reason for it. Well, it
1: really just seems oh. like a bit of a clutch a clutch play. Like we're we're under mm-hmm. the pump. I've looked up, there's the number eights running at me or the, you know, a big prop. I'm just going to kick it. I don't want to get hit. I don't know. That's what it seemed like. But um. Well, mate,
0: should we shift on to the golden time?
1: Yes, that's what I was going to say. What did you think? This was our first experience in super rugby history of golden point. Now, it's been introduced in the Aotearoa competition, but we haven't actually seen it yet. So, Australia is the first country in the world to have an extra, like a golden point you know, a, a professional rugby competition. What were your thoughts on this? One?
0: Um, I thought it was professional keeping back or kicking backs. Yeah. Forcing backs. That's right. So basically it was, uh, I don't have the stats here in front of me. And I mean, partly people don't care, but basically there was some insane number of kicks. There was something the like period. 39
1: kicks in that 10 minute yeah, period.
0: I, I was thinking 34. So it's, it's within the thirties Yeah, that there was just a stupid number of kicks because neither team wanted to play it within their kind of like within 40 meters of their try line in case they gave away a penalty. And that could then be the conversion. And so I just wonder if, well, so my question for you is how do you then improve golden point? Cause realistically scrums wasted time and yeah. the majority of it was just, okay. So, so what how, I, how do you, how would you
1: improve it? Improving the sort of golden point situation. And uh, another point that I want to make about this game in general is, and I think I'll go to that point first, before we talk about how to improve it. Cause they tie in together, but I thought mm-hmm. both teams managed their games horrendously. So if yeah, you watch yeah. if we, we will shift to the New Zealand's the New Zealand comp later on in the pod, but just watching the Crusaders and the Blues play, every time the team had the either team had the ball, they had some form of direction. They knew what they were doing. They knew that they were going something was going to happen with that possession. This both of these teams in this game were just lost, it seemed like. Yep. So there was a number of times where either team had the opportunity to win the game, essentially, and they didn't do it. And they made the wrong decision. So in the 78th minute, Matt Tamua has the ball. He's probably in the just beyond the 10 meters of in his half. So they've got possession. They're not that much under the pump, but there's two minutes left on the clock. A smart rugby team would just hold that possession and try and just get it probably over halfway for two minutes, just pick and drive it up, and then kick it out and win the game. You're ahead by seven points. Instead, he kicks possession away. Just this aimless kick, no chases, straight down um, James O'Connor's throat, who then, I think it was James O'Connor, maybe it went to... Um, yep. No, it was James. It went, okay. So James O'Connor gets it, throws it wide, makes this break, and then the red score off it and lock the game up. Now, yep. if he didn't take that kick, they win the game. If he, did, mm-hmm. if he kicked over James O'Connor's head to make it go long, they win the game. Because then they're playing, the Reds have a, a line out essentially down in their their half in the 22. They're probably not going to score from there. So that is just a situation where they've made the wrong choice and they've thrown the game away. The second thing yeah. I would say is in that golden point time, just before the half time of the golden point, the Reds had a penalty on halfway and they chose to take a shot at goal. So they got a kick at 50 meters and they give it to... Bryce Hegarty, Hegarty, who hasn't been kicking the whole game to make this monster kick, and he misses. He, he, he had the right distance because it was right in the middle of the field, but it fell short by about 10, 15 meters. Um, what I what a smart rugby team probably would have done is taken the line out in the opposition half and then taken a field goal mm. from the line out. Now, these the
0: interesting kids- thing with that is, I, I want to speak to that, okay because I get it. I get what you're saying but let's look at the success rates of the lineouts and maybe this is why they didn't. So in this game lineouts were horrific and the Reds lost 6 of their own lineouts for a lineout success rate of 65% which is incredibly low you very rarely see in professional rugby and then the Rebels were well, only 2% better at 67%. They lost 4 of their 8 uh, of their 12 line. And so I wonder if the fact that they couldn't trust that they would have secure lineout ball was a factor within them not going for what you're saying which mm. would make sense.
1: Yeah, I, it comes into it, but at the same time if you if you kick well and you kick smart, if you get it out within that within the 22 essentially, you're mm. the opposition really aren't going to contest that because they think you're going to maul it. So yeah. you've got a secured lineout and then you've got a set piece to try and get a penalty from or to kick a field goal. That's what I would have been doing if I was the captain. I wouldn't have been gambling on a 50 meter penalty.
0: Yep. Yep. So cool. To go back well, and answer
1: your previous question as to how would I improve um, the golden point? I don't necessarily think that there's any rules that need to change around it. I think the idea is pretty, pretty like it's, it's got merit in it that the first team to score a point wins the game. Um, I just think teams need to be a little bit more smarter around how they do it. So uh, I guess it comes down to fitness one one thing that I would say that you could do is you could just try and increase your ruck speed and just try and just yeah, lift that tempo a little bit um, to try and uh, catch the other team off guard and move the ball down the field faster. Um, I also would say that you would need to have more faith in your team to be able to contest the breakdown as opposed to just, which, like this team, both of these teams didn't seem to have um, faith in their own ability to either win the breakdown or win the the tackle possession or just to hold on to possession for long enough to sort of march themselves down into a contestable part of the field. So they kicked it away, and that's what we saw if, with both of them just kicking it aimlessly.
0: I wonder if two quick things next week. Number one, stop the clock for scrums in penalty time in golden point time, um, and then two. But we didn't you see cannot the yeah, we did not yes, in the golden point runs. i don't think there was yeah there were there were, were there? definitely okay yep um and the second one is uh you cannot win off a penalty. so you can only win off a try or a drop goal and yeah, but... so that uh, okay immediately yeah. just yeah so anyway i don't want to talk about this for too long because yeah. we've been chatting about one game for 20 minutes um and we have three others that we need to go through <laughs> um but yeah i just think uh, let's see how they, it pans out. It's very unlikely. It's highly on point. Um, but maybe teams now have seen how it acts out and will come up with things like you were yeah, suggesting. Yeah, exactly. To but
1: also like with the kicking that they were doing, none of the teams were being smart around their approaches to kicking. Yeah, it Neither poor, team poor went for the game. 50-22. Mm-hmm. Reece Hodge went for one of them in the whole game and he pulled it off. But no team went for it in that in that in uh, that golden point. So... Little, and, and we've not, as Australian rugby, we've not been a smart nation in terms of our, our, our kicking in, field, on, in play. So anyway, let's move on to the Waratahs game.
0: I love it. So Mitch, <laughs> we were around at your place watching this game and it was exciting to be able okay. to get together, wear our Waratahs jerseys, wear our Waratahs gear and to cheer it on. Now, if you don't mind, I just want to take a moment to quickly shout out a, uh, a loyal listener um brian knight hit us up as soon as the game was over (laughs) on facebook and i quote boys don't you dare talk up a good tars win hooper was so far offside on the kick that led to the try um look look brian firstly thank you so much for getting in touch we had a nice chat afterward um and so shout out to him but he lives Uh, out
1: in the west so that's why he's going
0: for the western force so true 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 so, one of the things I just want to quickly say is number one, I'm not entirely sure if Hooper was on side. Watch it back again. Sorry, was offside. I'm pretty sure he was in line. Oh, and then yeah, number two, I think. Yep. Go uh, either way, but then number two, it went out for a 50 22 and he'd had no impact on the play yes so even if he was like a meter offside who cares it doesn't impact the play at all yes so I I would probably
1: say Hooper might have been offside because it did look like he was in front of Carmichael Hunt um, and he was calling for the kick downfield but he didn't have any impact on the play and the ball and Carmichael Hunt was going for the 50-22 he wasn't going for the kick to, to Hooper so it really was immaterial.
0: Um, either way, thanks for getting in touch, Brian. And if anybody does want to hit us up, please um, just just send us a message on Facebook or on Instagram. We reply pretty quickly and we love to have a chat with our listeners. Um, so what did you think about... It? Rob Penny in his post-match interview said that it was a game of two halves, best cliche in the world. Um, but it really, really was. What do you think the Tars were doing or the Western Force were doing so well in that first half?
1: Well, if, if no one if people haven't seen the game, we didn't say what the final score was. So the Tars did win oh, the game. Yeah. The final score was uh, 22-14 to the Waratahs, but it 23. was 23, was it? Sorry, 23. Yep. Um, it yep. was 14 nil at halftime. No, 14-7, sorry. We scored, mm-hmm. a, the Waratahs scored a try right on halftime. Um, so the Western Force were up and they, would, they were pushing the Waratahs quite well in the first half. And I was worried that we were going to see a defeat. Um, mm-hmm. But they came back as they often do.
0: Twenty-three unanswered points in the second half. Yeah, Actually, I am um, fourteen unanswered points.
1: I was surprised by the force. They, they, they proved that they are a super rugby level team, which is good to see because yeah. there was a lot of yep. there was a lot of uh, sort of talk in the media and, and in the the tabloids that they are essentially an NRC or maybe a Shoot Shield level side. Uh, that they didn't have too much experience. par the guys that were Wallabies that have come back. Um, but yeah, the first half, they did very well. They put the Waratahs under pressure. They, their, def- their line speed was great because they kept the Waratahs um, parked in their own half for the first at least 20 minutes. And every time the Waratahs got the ball, they basically kicked it away because they had they were just under pressure to, to turn it over and they just didn't want to do that. So I, I don't have the stats in front of me, but I would say that the Waratahs' possession in the first half was pretty minimal as opposed to the Western force.
0: Yeah. I'm just seeing if I can get them in front of me, but it, yeah, it was, I think there was a lot of emotion and enthusiasm from the force coming into this game. And for people that don't know the backstory, the force would cut from super rugby. Oh, who doesn't know
1: that story by now? Come on. Yeah. If you're look, I know. To- I'm just, a rugby yeah,
0: you know what, if you're listening to a rugby podcast, you know that story. That's a good point. Um, and there's just been this incredible level of animosity. And in that, the final game, of 2017, the Western Force Jatars, something like 40, 44, 11, something around that figure. And In-verse I was as well, I think- yeah, and I was expecting much of the same this game. I actually tipped a um, Force win for this game. Um, <sighs> mostly because if I got it right, I was happy because I got the tip. But if I got it wrong, I was happy because the title won. Um, <laughs> so it's <laughs> so, a win-win. Yeah. Um, now, I, the reason I'm saying all that kind of backstory is because I think the Force... Had a couple of things going for them. One, enthusiasm. Um, they had a very, they had a lot of motivation and a lot of energy coming into this game. And it's really hard to define that. But you just the the force had really good line speed. They had really impressive aggression in the uh, in the carries that they were making, particularly their number eight, Brinard Stander who's the South African, I think he played for the Stormers previously. He was excellent. Um, And it was just really impressive to see the way in which they were so well organized. And John O'Lance was just directing them around the park with Ian Pryor with a level of confidence and maturity that the Tars just couldn't match in that first half. I think um, Short and Harrison were really outshone by their force counterparts in that first half of the game.
1: Yeah, definitely. The, the, the level of game speed that the force brought wasn't matched by the Waratahs. Um, yeah. The Waratahs resulted to kicking a lot and their kicking game was quite poor. They didn't kick very tactically at all and a lot of the kicks that they did weren't contestable by them. So they didn't have runners coming through and they just sort of kicked into, into a space that was occupied by one of the back three. So it yeah. it was just really kind of poor approach by the waratahs into that first sort of 30 minutes but as they led into the half they did start to build some momentum and we did get down into their into their um 22 two or three times and we ended up scoring right on the right on the bell by angus bell so um we went in we went into the sheds with the momentum and we definitely came out with that momentum and carried it through to
0: the victory there was a little bit that was disappointing in that last week you saw an effort that was um, full of heart, full of passion and energy from the likes, I mean, we spoke about it at length last week, me of that, that mm-hmm. effort, and it just wasn't matched at all in this first half. And that was, that was just really disappointing. But when you consider the age of the team, it's not surprising that they're going to system. What really pleased me about this game was, number one, how good the force legitimately were. But then number two, how the Tars were able to respond and actually claw their way back into the game. And I think a large part of that was actually off the back of Carmichael Hunt's yeah, introduction.
1: that was actually what I was about to say was I think when Ooh. Carmichael Hunt came on in the probably 50th minute, 45th minute even, um, he definitely straightened up the attack and he brought his kicking game. He went for two 50-22s. One of them we scored off, which is what we were talking about earlier. Um, mm-hmm. and the other one, definitely like we, that, we got a lot of field position from that and we just weren't going for those kicks prior to that we weren't sort of using the field effectively um yep. so i guess that that really did show that he did bring that experience and he did bring that approach to the game um that we didn't so we lacked prior to that
0: there has been a bit of controversy about both of his 50 um one of them because it was really hard to tell whether it actually like it definitely bounced in field but then whether it went over the line um before the 22 or within the 22 and i watched it back on ko and spent a whole bunch of time just trying to pause it pause it pause it because you've got the um the the flag marker at the 22 and so if the ball was in front of as i'm looking at from the camera the flag marker then that would mean it's gone out before the 22 because it's closer to the stadium but if the ball is on the other side of the flag marker. then that means it's more likely to have actually gone out in the 22 and i paused it exactly on and i've got a screenshot of it, oh, you've of got it. The, yeah i've got the screenshot of it so i can put that up as well but basically that's indicating that it's more likely to actually have been a 50-22 i mean this um, one
1: this one's always hard to um hard to call because the ball bounced outside the 22 and it comes down to where it crossed the plane of touch
0: yeah yep yep And the ARs are almost always really far away because they're up with the play, often monitoring the defensive line. So they're having to sprint and try and get as close as they can to make the judgment. And when it's that much of a line call, it's it's pretty challenging. So I don't envy them having to do that particular role. But the other one, the other one was um, uh, Angus Bell.
1: Yeah, I've got Swinton gets makes the break. Swinton yeah, makes yeah. the break, but he offloads to yep. Bell.
0: Ah, uh, that's it. Okay. And yep. offloads to Bell, who gets tackled right on the halfway line, right? But as he plays the ball back, he plays the ball back onto, directly onto the 50-meter, like the halfway line, right? Yeah. So then Mitch Short then passes it out. Carmichael Hunt kicks it. It goes out It goes out in the opposition 22, so therefore yep. it's a 50-22. Yeah. Um, but there was a lot of people saying that Swinton, or Bell, was tackled over the 50 50, outside the 50 so therefore it shouldn't count and so i hit up a couple of people on twitter just going oh what's the ruling for that how does that work and they basically pointed out that a lot of the time when people are doing pick and drives close to the opposition try line the player will get held up over the line but he'll play the ball back um, behind the line and that's not called as held up that it's called as play on, yeah. and the same thing will happen if they're tackled on the twenty-two. But the play of the ball, where the halfback picks it up, is inside the twenty-two. Then it'll be a, it'll be called as inside, not outside. So therefore, Bell's placement is legitimately inside the fifty. So therefore, the yeah, well, it's um, because
1: it's where the it's where the number nine picks the ball up. Yeah, yep. So he's yep. picked it up inside his half, and then they've kicked yep. it out. It's the same yep. as if the ball is if the player's held up in the try line, but the ball is not in the try line, you don't mm-hmm. score points by putting the ball, like putting your body down in the try line. You put you yep. score by putting the ball down. So if the ball's not in the try line, it's not a try. It's the same yep. same instance here.
0: It seems that a lot of people were, um, maybe they saw it at the time. I, oh, I remember I can, at the time I can thinking, understand. Yeah. I can
1: understand. If that was happening against us, I would have been yelling as well. That's out. <laughs> That's not <laughs> a what? 50-22. What Come on, Randy. Yep. I mean we've got, admit, um, we've got to we've got to we've got to we've got to be honest. We're one-eyed Waratah supporters every day of the week. So <laughs>
0: um, now let's actually chat about some of the other players. Um, I want to do a quick shout out to well, not shout out as such, but I thought John O'Lance was fantastic, um, and the force substitute front row of Andrew Reddy, Chris Heiberg, and Greg Hunt were bloody awesome when they came on they dominated the tiles. i was about to
1: sneeze um yeah no i <laughs> definitely think i muted myself cuz i was about to oh, No, um i definitely think these guys will be starting next week so they came on all three at the same time they replaced their front row and the first scrum they had they won a penalty i don't mm-hmm. think the war uh, this the force had won a scrum penalty up until that point they they f- up uh, for the majority of the game the force was struggling with their um with their front row and that they were just before the engagement, even like they just were not holding their um, holding their space and keeping that gap. And they kept closing it. So that's the starting front row definitely had issues, but I definitely think that the guys that came on made a, a market improvement. And then we, I think we'll see them as the moves on being the starters. Yep. Um, Anybody
0: that you thought was particularly impressive from either side? So I've pointed out the front row uh, and John Lance. Anybody that you think?
1: Yeah, no, No one really jumps out too much. I thought John Lance did quite well. I thought his kicking was very good. Um, Ian Pryor, as you mentioned, they're they're the guys who sort of expected to do well anyway. I don't think there was any of the younger guys that really stood out and said, oh, wow, this guy's pushing for a gold jersey or where'd this guy come from? Um, But we might start to see that as the competition wears on. These guys, a lot of these guys don't have super rugby experience. So this is their opportunity to really step up and, and stand out.
0: I think that they'll benefit hugely from this hit out. They, it, it must be really encouraging for a Force fan to know that you dominated the first half of the game. And you had a very clear, controlled game plan that you were able to execute on, and it was maybe just a lack of um, match fitness, which is understandable considering how some of their players have been in quarantine at, until about three or four weeks yeah, ago. Yeah, well, even even if you look um, back
1: to um, go back and, and look, like they they've been playing in the NRC, and prior mm-hmm. to that, they've been playing in the sort of the the test of the global rapid global rugby rapid system. rugby. Yep. Yeah, so they haven't really been playing at this level. So I can understand why in that sort of last... And they, they did well. They weren't sort of like your, your typical Pacific Island nation that you kind of see in the World Cup where it gets to mm-hmm. maybe the 30th um, or the 20, 20th minute... The, or so the 60th minute, sorry. Um, and they're all out on their feet and the, the other team just runs it in. They probably only sort of really started to look like they were blowing in the last
0: six or seven. Yeah, yep. And if we look at it from a Waratah's perspective i thought jack maddox started pretty poorly he missed a couple of high balls but grew into the game and was a lot yep. more secure kind of in the second half which it does uh it is incredible the extent to which michael hooper is a reliably top level performer every single so he had i think it was four turnovers and could have got more easily but he there were couple of unlucky instances where Angus Gardner um, <laughs> and he had incredible stats for the carry and runs meters as well as tackles. Um, he is just the to- almost a top performer of both sides every week that he plays. And I think we sometimes forget how good he is because he's so good all the time. Um, he's definitely without a doubt the best player on Oratah's team by yes. a million miles. Yeah. And it's, it's like that. It's like Aaron Smith. So Aaron Smith is better than everybody else in his team by a long way. And the same thing is same thing for Michael Hooper, but Hoops just has less of a playmaking role. So yeah, exactly. Doesn't have the I mean, ability to impact. We were talking about this
1: after the game last night as well. And we were just sort of saying who else is really pushing Hooper? Like there's a lot of people that come out and say Hooper, Hooper isn't the best seven in Australian rugby. and It's kind of hard for us being Waratahs fans because we're behind Hooper hundred mm-hmm. um, percent. But Outside of Hooper, who really is pushing to, to be a better seven to overtake that spot? We were talking It'd about Liam. Liam Wright. He, but he's playing six, like he's not yep. even playing seven for the Reds. Then we were looking at the the um the Brumbies, and we were looking at Valentini and Cusack. Yep. And I wouldn't yeah, say Cusack. either of those. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't say either of those guys are pushing Hooper for a, to be the starting seven for the the Wallabies.
0: Yeah, and like Richard Hardwick is playing pretty well for the Rebels, but not well enough to be ousting Michael Hooper. Like exactly. He's, he's not a bad player, but he's not better than Hooper. And so everybody that says, like, this, this is a really easy way to filter people in comment. So if you're talking about rugby, you're talking about the Tars, and you go, oh, if, if they say Hooper is useless because he just swans out on the wing, he just stands out on the wing and makes easy easy. They just meters, don't get it. immediately. You immediately dismiss their opinion. Yeah, because you know they don't. Act, they don't get um, it, or they're not. They don't understand Properly, yeah. Um, anyway, that's enough about that. I also just wanted to say I thought Ned, Ned Hannigan wasn't that strong. Um, yeah. I think we're we're having issues with our walking combination from a grunt point of view. Um, Rob Simmons, we had a bloody good line out. I think our line out stats were something like 92 percent. And um, that's, that that comes
1: down to Rob Simmons. It really is. Yes,
0: yeah, definitely. Um, But it's also really helpful having Will Harris can jump in a line out, so can Swinton, Simmons, and Hannigan. So we have four legitimate line out when our kind of starting team is on the park. So that's really helpful. But what we gain in line out success is highly diminished because Hannigan. Just doesn't hasn't yet seemingly adjusted to being a lock because he's played a lot of six in his career. Yeah. Um, and an Swinton didn't have a particularly strong game yet, and he's not an eight. And then Will ha- Will Harris is he's trying, uh, but he's still young. He's like twenty, and so he just hasn't really solidified yet as a strong ball carrier. So really, it's down to what the front row and Michael Hooper to be doing the carries. And there's and only Robson so much is. that those four guys. Yeah, Simmons tries. They truck it up. Don't get me wrong; they're putting in effort, but the ability to like get their shoulders through that initial tackle, or to have meters after contact, is very yeah. minimal. Yeah. And that's what you're expecting. Like you look at any of the um, New Zealand teams, like Patrick Tupelutu for the Blues yeah. is Tupiloutu for the Blues is just incredible with the way he makes meters after contact. The legs just keep on pumping. Same with like Akira Yuani. Um, you just don't see that with any of the Waratahs players, and some of that's due to age, and some of it, I think, they just don't have the right people in the right positions.
1: Cool. No, I agree. But we've talked about this for a while now, so let's move on. Now, before we jump in, close this segment off and jump into the New Zealand side of things. Let's um, let's look to next week. And one thing I do want to just briefly uh, kind of mention again, as Waratahs fans, is we might see the Waratahs playing at home for the <laughs> for the next probably four or five games which is quite interesting. Mm. So this week we play the Brumbies in in, uh, in Sydney at ANZ Stadium. Next we'll week, there. hopefully, yeah. Next week we're playing the Rebels. Now, this is meant to be in Melbourne, but the way things are currently going, I just don't see that happening. So
0: is not going to happen. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's not going to happen. So the talk is that they're going to swap that round and that the Waratahs will host this as their home game and the Rebels will, and they'll just swap. So when we're due to play them again later in the year, They'll play at home. Mm-hmm. Um, the week after that, we have a bye. Then we play round six in Sydney against the Reds. Then we play the Western Force. Now, at the current time, Perth also isn't open, so the Western Force mm. are currently located in Newcastle. And there's talks they're going to be in the, Hunter Valley, be, in the yep. Hunter Valley. Yeah, so there's talks that they're going to be playing maybe next week in Newcastle. Um, we don't know. That hasn't been officially confirmed. But if things don't improve, we'll probably be playing their home as well. The week after that, we go down to, to Canberra and play the Brumbies. So, I would say week eight, which is six weeks from now, is the next time that we're not going to be playing at home, potentially.
0: Uh, we're not playing in round five. So, you yeah, just missed a, from there. So, we're not playing yeah, in round five. That's a that's bye.
1: Yeah. I, I did I not say yeah.
0: that? Uh, okay. I might yeah. have missed it. But either well, way, yeah, that's pretty good. Either high.
1: way. So, um, that could do quite well for the Tars. Like, if we can start mm. building some momentum... And really get some support going and, and get that home ground advantage, yeah, we could go somewhere. I mean, this week is gonna be the test. We're playing the Brumbies. Yep. And we're yep. playing them at home. So if we can push it, I think that they I would like to see the the Tars win it. Let's let's go into our predictions. What are you thinking for this coming week? So first Friday night the Brumbies we've got first tars. Friday night we've got Reds and, and the Force up Ooh, in Brisbane. Yep. Um, yep. then we've got the Tars and the Brumbies. So Game one, what are you going?
0: Mm, Reds by 14. Really? Yep. That's big. I, th- I think that the Reds, oh, you know what? They've kind of flattered to the sea. The first game back against the Tars, they didn't play particularly well um, against a Tars team that was passionate, but wasn't that, weren't able to execute on what we're trying to do. Um, and then against the Rebels, they were pretty dire. They so were bad. They were bad. They really were. Maybe
1: Reds by six. Yeah, look, this one's going to be tight. Again, I don't know which way this one's going to go. Um, the Reds have not been the team that they should be on paper coming out of into this new competition. Mm. They have the experience, they have the players, and they have the combination. They're probably one of the more settled teams in this competition. They should be doing better than they are. They played poorly last week. They played poorly this week. So... I really do think that the force have the opportunity to push them and push them hard. So I reckon it could go down to the wire again. Um, But in saying that, we did see earlier in the year that when the Reds did get their backs against the wall, they did put that good performance against the Sunwolves. And they were pushing some of the other teams a bit as well. So if they can get that, they'll do well. But I think the force will improve from this week. They will adapt to the laws. They will probably get a bit of fitness under their belts as well. So I reckon that the the Reds will win this one, but only by three. Okay. Tars. Oh, this is going to be a big game. This is going to, it's going to need a big effort from the Tars to win this. And I, I don't see it. The Brumbies weren't as good as we were expecting in round one. They still got the win though. And if you look at the team, it was the same team that played against the Reds this week um, Mm. for the Rebels and they weren't great, and the Brumbies didn't win by a lot. So It was 31 to 23, yeah. So they won by seven. Eight. Eight, yep. Eight sorry. Um, I, the Tars could push them, but I still think the Brumbies are, are the top team in this competition, so I'm going to go Brumbies by five.
0: Yeah, I'm thinking a little bit more. Ten? Yep. And either okay. way, if we're wrong, then we feel happy because the ties have won. So that's great. And we will be there to cheer them on regardless. Yeah, we will. So. It'll be fun. So, um, yeah. yeah, if you're going to be at the game, hit us up. We'll come say hi. Give you an elbow bump or something like that. Yeah, um, definitely. But it'll be fun. And we're looking forward to actually getting out to support some rugby. Yeah, we'll see,
1: if we, we'll see if we can get some sort of player reactions from the game as well, since we're going to be out there. So, yeah, that'll be great. This week, Next week could be an interesting pod. more um... so than normal let's say that more so than normal (laughs) yeah more so than normal all right let's dive into the uh, new zealand side of things now
0: right let's roll all right now we get to chat about round five of super rugby aotearoa and the first game of the weekend was the Satyrs versus the blues and so this was a Basically, it was top of the table clash and a lot of people were hyping it up. The Blues were the form team in the first three rounds of the competition before their bye in week four. The Crusaders had their bye in the first week and then won each game after that. And so there was a lot of expectation in this game and it definitely lived up to that expectation. So the final score was 26-15 to the Crusaders. Um, don't let the scoreline deceive you of the 11-point difference. It was a very closely contested and high-quality game. Um, Mitch, thoughts, general comments?
1: What a cracker of a game. This mm. game, this this week, really showed the difference between Australia and New Zealand and the levels that were, we're just not on. <laughs> yep. um, if you look at this game was played... Uh, Saturday afternoon, if you compare that to the Friday night game, you th- it, they made us look like five-year-olds. It's mm-hmm. the, the, um, just the level of skill across the board from every player playing for both sides was crazy. There was things in this game that I've never seen happen on a rugby field.
0: I know exactly what you're talking about. Let's go. <laughs> Talk about it.
1: Yeah, so uh, it was in the second half. Richie, uh, the, the Crusaders had just scored. Um, Richie Mowonga takes the kickoff. He kicks it short. It basically grubbers to the twenty-two uh, to the uh, five-meter line, uh, ten-meter line, you know, whatever it is. Um, runs himself, picks it up just as it gets there, and then spins and evades the first tackler, and then he's off and makes a break. and He gets caught in the twenty-two. So from their That's own insane. kickoff, he regains his own kick and gets tackled in the twenty-two. Like that is just, just, I've never
0: seen that before. I don't think I don't know of any clip that ever shows anything like that no it's just the level okay so there's a couple of things i want to talk about with this firstly that is a freakish level of skill and confidence to be able to pull that off okay so huge portraits to richie monger for being able to do that secondly he's a finely chiseled man who Uh. has excellent facial hair and has his definition on his on his facial hair, that I just don't know how he achieves it. So I just want to do a shout out to whoever his barber is, are doing a bloody good job.
1: <laughs> Keep uh, it up. So these well are the impo-
0: important topics, important topics here on pick and drive rugby. Yeah. Um, but Rob Penny actually spoke to what you were saying at the start about the difference between the quality of the New Zealand comp and the Australian comp. And the reporter in a post match interview asked him something about the difference in quality. And Rob Penny said, well, in a way, it's to be expected because you have both the Crusaders and the Blues. So for the Blues, they're kind of three or so years into their developmental cycle. And when you actually look at the players in their team, they should have been performing a lot better than they have been over the last few years. Yeah. Yeah. And so they finally get it together. They play three good games, and now everybody's talking about them as world beaters. And to an extent, they're a really good team. But he's saying they're at the development point where they should be performing like that. And the Crusaders, yep. they've got the best talent identification and squad management system of any super rugby team going around. Well, any so, team in the world, really. Any rugby yeah. team so, in the world. And so you can't, you can't compare a Waratahs team that has a new coaching setup for this year, a whole host of um, inexperienced and incredibly young players to players who are at the top of their game in teams and systems that are well established and two, three, four years into a cycle. So could you was, compare I thought them, it was a really good point. But could you compare them to the Rebels? Uh, yeah, I think it would be more fitting to compare them to the Rebels and the Brumbies. They would exactly. be the, if you compare uh, them to the choice. Brumbies,
1: I think the Brumbies would push them a lot harder than the Rebels did.
0: Oh yeah, 100%.
1: Yes. Um, so if you, but that's if you the other thing. If you Brumbies, compared them to the game on Friday night, where the rebels were playing, a lot of drop ball, the the scrums were pretty poor, the lineouts were mm-hmm. atrocious. Like they're in a similar basket to the Reds and the Crusaders, uh, the Rebels, the Crusaders, and the Blues. If you look at those, that logic. So I, yeah, I would I, still say that they, the New Zealand system, is just such a step above us.
0: Yep, but we're also comparing week five to week two. But it's not of even the two it, competitions. I'm
1: not even saying this in the um like the scrums are better. The breakdowns are quicker, which, I mean, they are. They are. It's just the general skill.
0: Oh, yeah. Like the the ability to break the tackle,
1: the lines that the backs are running, the support plays, the fact that the the forwards are running as fast as the backs and are hitting gaps as, as well as the back. We don't have that level in Australian rugby, any team. No team's doing that. It's, it's, they're just so far ahead of us.
0: I think the Brumbies came close at the start of the season. They were playing some really high-quality rugby and were pro- what they were obviously the best of the Australian teams. Um, but I, I do agree with you in your general point that New Zealand's competition is showing how, at this point, their systems are enabling them to produce high-quality rugby. And I think that's partly because we've we don't have the systems that can cope with the huge player drain that we've also had over the last, since, since the end of the World Cup. If you think about who left after the World Cup, they are like a huge core of the Wallaby squad. And yeah, yeah, no, we just don't have the capacity to respond or cope with that. Like, the new-
1: Yeah. Like we've lost a lot of talent, but I would, I, I'm just, I'm marveling at their basic skill level. Yeah. 100%. I don't think yep. a, a basic Australian rugby player, has the skills of a basic New Zealand rugby player. So if we well, went down and watched our local team, so say Pennant Hills play Beecroft, for example.
0: Um, You've just told everyone where we are. <laughs> good. Good. Everyone knows.
1: No, they know. I'm not in that area anyway. Maybe you are. Yeah, You've revealed it. Anyway, <laughs> um, so local team. We see two two Australian local teams playing each other. Um, and then we go over and watch two New Zealand teams playing each other, I still think the level's
0: going to be a lot higher
1: than in mm. the Australian.
0: Anyway, just a point. Yeah. Anyway, let's get back into the game itself. Um, what really impressed me was the absolute flexing that the Crusaders did before this game by dropping Will Jordan from the starting team and bringing yeah. Seve Rees back in. So you're taking the player that has absolutely lit up the first three games of the Crusaders Super Rugby Altero competition. He scored four or five tries in three games and then you bench him. But you bench him for and, Severis. Yeah, look, okay, I know Severis is good. Don't get me wrong, but like the fact that they can bench... Yeah, I know, exactly. That's the thing. In and of itself, the point that I'm making here. Yeah. Uh, and obviously he got a try when he came on late in the game, um, but it was just the, the quality across the board from each of the teams. And one thing I, I noticed about Jack Goodhue, apart from the co- um, commitment that he's showing towards his filthy mullet, oh, is yuck. also, it's it's so good. It's, it's so not. bad. It's, it's not. Good. It's so it's, bad it's good. Anyway, no, it's not um, even. The thing that he has really impressed me with is he's developing a kicking game. So he's been playing it 12 for a while now. He's got decent, he's a strong player, strong ball runner, got okay just But he never really had a kicking game but it seems that that has been something he's worked on over the enforced break, because mm. he's taking a lot more of the tactical kicking responsibilities in support of Richie Moana, and he's doing a few kicks behind, finding touch, doing little chips or grubbers and he's doing them really effectively. So he's added that bow to his, that string to his bow. But, uh, you know what I'm saying? Bow he's to added that his element football? to his game. Oh, yeah. Uh,
1: yeah. Um, anyway. Um, um, yeah, no, definitely. I, um, yeah. They, they're great they really are a great team I was I was impressed that the blues were leading at half time so halftime score was mm-hmm. seven to six they'd scored a try and the Crusaders had kicked two penalties um, as you said previously this game was a lot closer than it looked the Crusaders scored two tries right at the end that really pushed that lead out but the blues really hung in there and pushed them really hard uh, and there's not going to be a final for this uh, Toro competition but if there was this would have been it Mm. like the well, blues and the crusaders are this both of these teams are such a step above the other three teams in this competition.
0: Yep. Well, I think that's a good transition or segue. Why don't we quickly move to the Canes Highlanders match now? Yeah. Um, so the hurricanes got up over the Highlanders 17 to 11. Um, look, I saw the, um, the, highlights. the mini of this game. The, okay. I saw the mini of it. I watched the highlights. I'd- <laughs> well, did, did you have anything you wanted to quickly say? I don't have a huge amount that I want to go into with this. Yeah,
1: this game basically ended up being the TJ Perinara versus Aaron Smith show. So yeah. it always was going to be billed as the battle for the number nine all-black jersey, but the game actually ended up being literally a, a, a competition between the two nines. So TJ Perinara mm-hmm. scored the first try in the 27th minute. He ran this great little ball off the back. I think it was a mall. Um and he, does, he goes to throw it and he looks up and sees Aaron Smith there. But Aaron Smith's got his eyes just for the ball and he's, he's following it. So he cocks it and then takes a step inside and just runs through this hole and scores. I thought that was pretty cool that he's just one-upped <laughs> Aaron Smith. But then if you look down at the other end of the game, in the 58th minute, Aaron Smith scores this try off a scrum. It's just absolutely beautiful. He timed yeah. it great um he's so fast
0: i sometimes forget how quick he is but he just doesn't
1: stop he really just doesn't stop he's like the energizer bunny uh and that that sort of sparked a comeback so at that point it was 17 to 8 and the final score ended up being 17 11 uh so they fell a little bit short but they did make a comeback but again it was pretty close it goes to show that aaron smith really is the only one of sort of I hate to say this, but quality in that highlander side, and they really just oh, sort of oh, Ash
0: out. Dixon as well. I throw in Ash Dixon into that, and Ash Dixon, Shannon Frizell, and Aaron Smith are like the top. Yeah, Ash uh, Dixon's like, like from he, a playmaking playmaking point of view. Obviously yeah, I mean
1: only... he's he's getting older. He's getting on now, though. Like, I don't think he'd be pushing for higher honours. Um, yeah. anyway, yeah. But yeah, they they're just not they're not matching it, unfortunately. And they really are in this um sort of rebuilding phase. They've got um. Milner Scudder on the bench they're hoping to bring him back soon and I think the, the faster they can get him back playing the better they'll go um, yep. Jordy Barrett did quite well in this game as well we've mm. sort of come to expect from him being a Barrett so yeah I think the the final score was what we kind of expected I didn't think that the Highlanders were going to win away um, probably thought it from what it looked like it looked like it could have been a lot more by the Canes but Um, yeah, the Crusaders came back. And so, yeah, good victory for them.
0: Yep. And the only thing I'll say is that there there were just some offloads in what what I saw that were just absolutely incredible. Like, round-the-back plays to a player looping close to the sideline. So, like, the winger cuts inside, then out of his right hand passes it behind his back to the number eight that's looped around around him and it's just little interplays like that that speak to what you were saying earlier about the skill and the ability of New Zealand players to just execute under pressure Um, which you just don't see as often in the Australian competition you sometimes do but nowhere near with the same level of confidence and it's
1: only like it's only simple things like the try that the Brumby scored last week off that mall where they've thrown the ball inside like that happens maybe once every three weeks Whereas this is happening two or three times a game
0: in New Mm -hmm. Zealand. But Mm -hmm. yeah. (laughs) It makes you worry for the blood games that will hopefully be happening later in the year. Doesn't it? Yeah. I don't, well, yeah, let's, let's see how we go. Let's see. Hopefully (laughs) in
1: week five or six of our AU competition that the levels increased a little bit. Otherwise um, we might start. um, Yeah. Calling it in. (laughs) We we can't make it. Sorry. We can't make that one. (laughs) <laughs> Melbourne's got too many cases. We can't play.
0: Yep. Well, mate, why don't we wrap it up there? I think we... Well, let's just look at next week. So, round, next week for New oh, Zealand yeah, is
1: round six. Uh, yep. First game, we have the Canes hosting the Blues in Wellington. Mm-hmm. And then we have the um, sort of fight for the Wooden Spoon, the Chiefs hosting the Highlanders. So, okay. who are you going to go with in the first game?
0: Uh, who was that? Canes, Canes and Blues? Canes Blues. Blues. Give me the yeah. Blues. Um, I don't how think many? they were... Uh, not much. Let's go. Let's go ten. I know it sounds like a lot, but it's not that much. Um, ten. Cane's by ten. What I'm going to go
1: with the blues as well. I'm Sorry, I sent f- blues by 10. Uh, yeah, I thought you were going for the for blues. Yep. Um, yep. I'm going for the blues as well. Blues by fourteen.
0: Okay. Cool. And for the second game,
1: uh, I'm going to go with. So this is the first time. This is the first time we're getting a, a repeat. So the. F- Round one was Highlanders and Chiefs down in Dunedin. Now we're getting the mm-hmm. Chiefs and Highlanders. I'm going to say that, the, look, uh, I think the Chiefs probably need a win. They're due for a win. Um, yep. They're playing at home. They've just come off a bye. I'm going to go with the Chiefs.
0: Yeah, look. Um, Chiefs by three. I haven't, been, I haven't been following them as closely now that Australian comp is back on. So I will probably go the Chiefs are, in my mind. Oh. Yeah, a part of me wants to pick the Chiefs because they haven't won yet and they actually are a pretty decent side. But they Like haven't on paper, played. they've got... On they've paper, got... they're a fantastic side, but they haven't played that well in the opening game. So I reckon the Chiefs are going to lose by about six.
1: So the Highlanders will win by six? You say? Yeah,
0: Highlanders up by six. Yep. Okay, cool.
1: All right. Well, mate,
0: why don't we finish it up there? Um, and firstly, anybody that's got to this final uh, moment of the pod, thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for- <laughs> sticking with us um we're really excited to get back next week and chat about the next round and don't forget to wait for our picks our um
1: predictions they'll be coming going out up on, on social Thursday. media
0: yep. yep so we put them up on Thursday and we'd love to hear your responses anybody that gets in touch with us and is the closest to correct will get a shout out on the pod next week anything awesome. you want to finish off with Mitch
1: no that's everything so yeah to find to follow those you will need to fi- follow it follow us on social media. So do give us a like on Facebook and give us a follow on Instagram and then you'll be able to have your say. So we look forward to hearing from you all and seeing what you're thinking so far. And, um, yeah, we loved hearing from you guys this week. So please do, if you want to say anything about the rugby, we're always open to chat. We always love talking to people. So yeah, send us a message, tell us how you thought your team went. Um, and or how bad you thought the tires went as well.
0: <laughs> All right. So get
1: involved. Thank, have a great week. We'll catch you later. Sounds good. See you, everyone. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast. You can follow us on social media at the following outlets. Follow our Facebook page at Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast. Send us a tweet at at pick underscore drive rugby. Follow our Instagram at pick underscore drive underscore rugby or send us an email at pick rugby at gmail.com we'd love to hear any questions or feedback you may have so get in touch thanks again for listening and we'll catch you next week